You're listening to TED Talks Daily. I'm Elise Hugh. In climate policy, curbing emissions is key. But something is missing in our policies to stop temperature rise. In her talk from the Countdown Summit in 2021, environmental campaigner Sapora Berman says we're forgetting a crucial lever in bringing down emissions. As she says, we can't phase down from fossil fuels when we're still growing the problem. Canada's great northern forests, they're the place of my heart. They hold 25 percent of the Earth's wetlands, and they're the nesting and breeding ground of the majority of North America's songbirds. They're the traditional territories of hundreds of indigenous nations. And my climate journey started here as a forest activist a long time ago. I was horrified that Canada's old-growth forests are being logged. They're burning. They're being destroyed by beetle infestations. But also because so much of the forest is under threat because of what lies under it. Oil. At the time, I thought that Canada's failure to reduce emissions was because we had a government that just didn't believe in climate change. But then, in 2015, we elected a new government. And Prime Minister Trudeau came to Paris, and with his hand on his heart, he said, Canada's back. And and he went home to introduce some really good climate policy, carbon pricing. And our emissions didn't go down. And the government continued to greenlight and even subsidize new oil sands, pipelines and fracking. And that, for me, was the moment when I realized where one of the big problems lie. Our governments are regulating emissions, but not the production of fossil fuels. You see, climate policy and agreements, they're complicated. But what's simple is that the majority of emissions that are trapped in our atmosphere today, well, they come from three products, oil, gas, and coal. For decades, our countries have been negotiating targets. But behind our backs, the fossil fuel industry has been growing production and locking in further emissions. I started reaching out to climate policy experts from around the world, because I wanted to understand what frameworks exist to negotiate who gets to produce what and how much, what policies help governments regulate, constrain the production side of fossil fuels. I found out that very few do. I will never forget the day that I sat with the Paris Agreement and I searched for the words fossil fuels, oil, gas, coal. They didn't appear, not even once, in the world's climate agreement. The fossil fuel industry has been successful in making itself invisible. I started reaching out and met with, for several years, the CEOs of major oil companies, because I wanted to understand 
What do these CEOs see when they read the science? How can they justify expanding oil and gas at this moment in our history? And also because I believe that there are good people everywhere. There are good people stuck in some bad systems. What I learned is that they know. They know that we're going to have to wind down fossil fuel production. But they are all holding out hope that they will be the last barrel sold. Or that unproven technologies like carbon capture and storage will allow them to continue to increase production. The problem is, the math just doesn't add up. We are currently on track today to produce 120% more fossil fuels in the next decade than the world should burn if we want to stay below 1.5 degrees Celsius. In fact, even if we phased out coal overnight, oil and gas in existing projects would take us beyond 1.5 degrees. For decades, climate policy has been designed on a theory that we're going to reduce demand, that the price of carbon is going to go up, and the markets, turbocharged by alternatives, wind and solar, now cheaper than fossil fuels, well, the markets are going to constrain supply. The problem is, it's not happening. Not fast enough to keep us safe. Why? Because the markets today are distorted. They're distorted by tax breaks and fossil fuel subsidies, but also because of the power of the fossil fuel industry, the influence of the industry, who no longer deny climate change, but they have moved from denial to delusion. That technologies that are not yet proven at scale that are not yet cost-competitive, are going to fix it in the future. I've spent 30 years running environmental campaigns. I've advised multiple governments on climate policy. I've been arrested on the blockades, and I've negotiated in the boardrooms of some of the largest banks and corporations in the world. And when I figured out that we don't have a framework for constraining the production of fossil fuels, I thought I was crazy. And so did some of my colleagues. <laughs> But here's the thing. Today, we are granting permits. We are spending trillions of dollars to increase the production of products that we say we're transitioning off of. It's not a transition if we're still growing the problem. We have more than enough fossil fuels in existing installations, even if we stopped expansion today, of oil, gas and coal in existing projects to use while we carefully manage a phase-down. And so the world is spending its intellectual, its financial, its technical capital to dig up stuff that we know we can't burn. And if we do, it will burn us. So what do we do? A year ago, a group of academics 
advocates, scientists, and former diplomats came together to create the Fossil Fuel Non-Proliferation Treaty Initiative to create the missing framework, so countries can negotiate a wind down of fossil fuels in a way that is fair, in a way that is equitable. Shockingly, one of the things we found out is that we don't have accounting or transparency right now on who's producing what and how much. So work is now underway to create a global registry of fossil fuel production and reserves. We are also at work creating the principles of equity that have to underlie a treaty, because the challenges to stop the expansion of fossil fuels in some countries are going to be so different than in other countries. There are countries today in the developing world, like Ecuador. That are drilling for new oil in the heart of the Amazon just to feed their debt. So no, we cannot rely just on the markets to constrain fossil fuel production. If we do, it will be an unmanaged decline instead of a managed decline, and more people will suffer. We need financial leadership at this moment. We need divestment at this moment. But we can't let governments off the hook. The wealthy countries need to act first. That means Canada and the U.S. and Norway can't do more oil drilling and fracking and new pipelines. It means that the U.K. cannot call itself a climate leader right now and build the Cambo oil field. So here's the good news: <laughs> support for the treaty is growing. Every day, I'm so excited to turn on my computer. 101 Nobel laureates, including the Dalai Lama, have endorsed the principles of a fossil fuel treaty. Cities from around the world are passing motions at their city councils to endorse a fossil fuel treaty. Sydney, Barcelona, LA, Vancouver. Over 100 elected officials from around the world, from 20 countries, starting in the global south, have endorsed the principles of a fossil fuel treaty. Over 2,000 scientists have now endorsed the principles of a fossil fuel treaty. Indigenous leaders, youth groups, over 800 civil society organizations who have been fighting fossil fuel projects for decades are now calling on their governments. To negotiate a treaty to keep it in the ground. Some of the criticism we get is that it's too big, it's unfeasible, it'll take too long. But the same was erroneously said about weapons treaties. For me, the answer is we don't have time for more of the same. We know that oil-producing nations are not likely to embrace a fossil fuel treaty. But what we've learned. From studying landmines, what we've learned from studying nuclear is that the journey matters. Just proposing a fossil fuel treaty is creating new conversations and new climate ambition. A fossil fuel treaty will help us wind down the production of fossil fuels. It will provide a complement and help us achieve the goals of the Paris Accord. It is a big, bold new idea. But at this moment in history, we need some big, bold new ideas. In 
Millions of people lost their homes. Thousands of people lost their lives as the fires and the floods and the heat waves swept our planet. I know that this can seem overwhelming, but we are capable of enormous change in our lifetimes. I had a conversation with my grandmother once when I was out of hope, feeling overwhelmed. And she said to me, "Do you understand how much the world has changed in my lifetime?" She said, "When your mother was growing up, we didn't have cell phones or computers. We had a phone on the wall. It was a party line. When it rang twice, it was for us." She said, "I didn't know anyone who'd ever been on a plane." She told me that the world had entirely changed in her lifetime. She said, "How we travel, how we communicate, and it will in yours as well." So when I do this work every day for a fossil fuel treaty, I'm holding on to the idea that one day I'm going to be sitting with my grandchildren. I'm going to be telling them about this time in our history when we clawed at the last primary forest to get at the oil. This crazy time in our history when we used to. Fill our cars with gas, heat our homes with gas, and they, well, they will barely believe me, because the world will be such a different place. Thank you.